right, take your Bibles if you would, and let's go to Genesis chapter 22, a familiar passage, and uh, I'm not promising a whole series, but uh, it may turn into that, and uh, uh, just put a finger there in Genesis chapter 22, if you would, uh, a passage we've been over often, and... and uh, uh, make sure and spend ample time in, in our Sunday school as we go through the Bible, a story at a time. We make sure and always stop. And, and then uh, just turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment. We want to read one verse here and then go back to Genesis, uh, a verse I would hope most of us in this room tonight could quote by heart, verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, speaking about God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, it's saying here that it is impossible to please God without faith. Uh, There's two elements to this faith. Number one, you must believe that God is. Why would you go to a God that doesn't exist or that you really don't believe exists? Well, they say tradition is the answer. Uh, And uh, that's some people's answer as to why they worship God. And I've met people say, my grandfather was and his grandfather was and I'm going to be. and, And sometimes I've looked at them and said, well, what if they were all wrong? You're going to be wrong too, right? And uh, more often than not, the response is, I don't care. Well, then let's get to the heart of the matter. You don't care. Uh, But if you're going to come to God, if you're going to please God, faith has to be involved in this thing. Amen? And if we'll go back to Genesis chapter 22... Uh, One of the rules of studying your Bible is what we call the law of first mention. Uh, The first time a word or an idea is brought up in the Scripture, God usually supplies certain things that we need to know about it. If you want to know about God, go to the first mention. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you need to know any more than that? Uh, If you accept that, everything else in the Bible falls into place. If you're going to sit here and and try to uh, reconcile the foolishness of scientific, falsely called scientific people and evolution and the Bible, you're going to be wandering into hinterland of doubt and, and frustration and confusion. But if you'll just accept what the Bible says, God was already there in the beginning. And he created everything that is. Uh, I love that joke where the scientists go to God and say, I think we finally got to the point where we don't need you anymore. And of course, you know it's a joke because scientists are talking to God, right? Uh, Though there are some, uh, the greatest scientists in history, most of them did believe in God. And that absolute is what gave them the ability to make the discoveries that they did. Uh, But we get back to the subject here as 
man, uh, God says, do you want to have a man-making contest? And the scientist says, yes, and reaches down and grabs a handful of dirt, and God says, go get your own dirt. Uh, I, just, I just like the thought that's involved there. Uh, these people want to talk about the Big Bang as if it had to have happened that way. Well, where did it all come from? Where did all of this cosmic dust and gas that produced a universe that has expanded, according to them, over 13.5 billion light years across, where did it all come from? Well, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, tonight, the word I'd like for us to start beginning, and there's no way we can... If we were to spend every Thursday night till Jesus comes back, we will never get everything about this word. But tonight, I'd like for us to get a little bit. It's found in verse 5. This is the first time this word is mentioned in the Bible. Abraham is speaking here to his servants. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. And what is the next word there? Can we say that out loud, nice and clear? Worship. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, that, that word worship is a word that is... So, misused today. In fact, uh, I went down to get a haircut today, and I'm looking for my barber, and uh, this strange face greets me at the door and says, Oh, he's on vacation for a month. And I'm going, Oh, no. Because I remember what happened the last time a new barber cut my hair. And, and, uh, and he come, Oh, he says, I know how to cut your hair. I said, how do you, he said, I've been cutting hair. I said, how old are you? And uh, he told me how old he was. I said, you were 10 years old when I first came into the barber shop here. I said, you haven't been cutting hair that long. Uh, and uh, then he backed off and did a good job, I think, I hope. Uh, nothing a little hair glue won't take care of. But uh, got to talking to him and he says, oh, yes, in my country, uh, Tajikistan. He said, I attended the Baptist church. In fact, I played guitar on the worship team. And uh, so, of course, that afforded a little opportunity to talk about worship. And I said, we do it the old-fashioned way. I said, I'm the worship leader in our church. And he said, really? He said, what instrument do you play? I said, no, no. I said, you missed it. I said, our worship, our true worship in the Bible is the result of what is preached. And it's how you live during the week. And so as the preacher, I try to lead the worship team. Which is everybody in the seats. You see, when Andrew leads the songs, what are we doing? We're, we're attempting to worship God by singing praises to Him. Uh, a child of the King. Stop and think about it. Who put me in that position? 
Well, it came from an old rugged cross and an empty tomb and an adoption and a purchase. God's love did all of those things and then I was born into His family. You, you know, you stop and think about it. How are the ways that a person is, can be brought into someone's family? Well, in the old horrible days, you could actually buy people in the slave market. Jesus bought us. That's what the word redeem means in the slave market of sin. You can adopt. And Jesus has adopted us. Amen. But you know, the best way to get into a family is to be born into that family. You know why? Because then nobody has a choice about the thing. You're, they're, they're stuck with you and you're stuck with them. Amen. And, and that's why Jesus calls it being born again. Amen. So we're born into And those are things that... God wants us to understand and He wants us to grasp and to sing those things and to remember that He is and that our salvation and the knowledge of that salvation is one of the rewards that He gives to those who will diligently seek Him. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, how many of you are familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 22? Would you just lift up a hand... You, you know the story. I mean, if you've been around our church, we, we've gone through this uh, story at least nine times in our Through the Bible time, uh, Sunday mornings. And uh, I, I did not stop to count how many sermons I've preached on this subject, but it's been more than one. Trust me, in 25 years, uh, this is one of those chapters that I love to spend some time with. And so, just before we get into the text that we're looking at, let's get a definition here. The word worship, to honor or revere as a supernatural being or power or as a holy thing. You know, that happens to a lot of rock stars, Hollywood harlots and starlets and whatever the male gender of that uh, term is. There's a lot of things worshipped and treated as a divine being that isn't. Amen? I mean, we have people that worship government. Now, I don't know how you could be any more misguided than to do that, but they do. It is their life. It is everything they're about. You see... To honor or revere as a supernatural being or power or as a holy thing to regard or approach with veneration, to adore with appropriate acts, rites, or ceremonies. Now that is the textbook definition of the word worship. Uh, I'd like to offer... A working definition. True Bible worship is trying to get a hold of who God is with human hands. Have you ever looked at something and said, I need to move that, and you grabbed a hold of it and started to lift it, and then all of a sudden you found out 
that they must have been putting lead in that box. I mean, it didn't look that big, but it sure was much, much too heavy to move. Has anybody ever had that thing happen? I remember one time I was working on a transmission for a pickup, one of Brother Clayton's pickup trucks. And I said, ah, I think I can move this thing, and I just picked it up. And then it took a step, and all of a sudden I felt that weight. Later on I found out it weighed about 250 pounds, which is about 200 pounds more than I should have been lifting, right? Uh, Not quite, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And man, I could just feel the weight of that. I couldn't drop it because that would be the end of the transmission. Uh, I, I had to set it down carefully and praise the Lord. Neither me nor the transmission was injured. But uh, I will tell you this, even as I tell you the story, there are joints in my lower back that feel that pressure. As I pulled it off the bench and I'm going, this was not smart. But it pushes you down. See, the word worship means to bow down. If you really try to get a hold of God, who God is, what's going to happen? It is going to push you down. It's too big for you. It's too much. But God enjoys something. He enjoys when we ask for too much. How many of you remember the story of Peter in the boat? Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out on the water. And you could just almost in the text hear the Lord going, Well done, but I know what's going to happen. He stepped out of that boat and he started walking to Jesus, didn't he? But then all of a sudden he turned around and stopped looking at Jesus and began to sink because... The Lord never intended for Peter. He didn't ask the disciples, if you believe it's me, step out on the water now, did he? But God is willing to take advantage of our desires to know him better. God loves it when we step out on nothing except his word. That is the purest and the working definition of what faith and worship really is. It's honoring God for who He is. It's taking God at His word. And we will see, if you want to title this, I call this the pattern of worship. God explains to us what He wants in worship. Now let's just walk through the events very quickly if we can. And boy, that is hard. I could, uh, how many times have spent the whole night just going over the events in this chapter, but we want to uh, get, get past that. But in verse one, and it came to pass after these things. Now what were these things? Uh, these things were God bringing Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees into the land of Canaan, protecting him from all of the Things taking him into Egypt, back out of Egypt, and and promising him a land that he had uh, no 
uh, um, ownership in as of yet. He owned nothing. He wouldn't own anything uh, until uh, the next chapter or two when he buys a place to bury Sarah. That was the only land in the land of Canaan, the promised land that Abraham owned, was the graveyard for his family. Yet we read the book of Hebrews, and it says that Abraham went whither he knew not. He didn't ask for directions, ladies. That's a manly thing. Uh, He was going at the direction of God and following what God had sent him to do. And God had provided him a son through his 90-year-old wife. I'll tell you, if you've ever held a newborn, you know the miracle of birth. But then stop and think about a 90-year-old mother. And you're just sitting there going, things had to be different in those days than they are in these days. And that certainly may have been, but God was that difference. Amen? And God gave that son, and now we have, after these things, God showing up, and he's going to ask Abraham for something. You know, God had never asked Abraham for very much at this point, other then just to follow him, and, and Abraham had no problem. So verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he, God said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Click, click, and dial tone. That was it. God came and said, I want you to take your only son. I don't want Ishmael substituted here. Uh, I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Now, that was pretty fantastic, was it not? I mean, that was far beyond. That was not connected to anything we know about God or his character. But God asked Abraham for this. Now, Abraham did not have 1,100 chapters of a Bible. In fact, in Abraham's life, there was not one verse written down that we know of. Possibly the book of Job had been uh, at least uh, transmitted by oral story. If it came from before, most people that are supposed to know these things believe that Job was somewhat of a contemporary with Abraham or maybe just... Shortly before him. And so, Abraham had nothing to rely upon except God's revelation to him to do what God said. Now, we go back to our definition of worship. It is honoring with appropriate rites and ceremonies. Who has the right to determine how God is worshipped? Well, maybe we could start with God. How about that? That God would have the right to determine how He is worshipped and honored. Uh, That's not too far of a stretch for any of us, except for how do you get a hold of God to find out these things? Well, that's what this book called the Bible was about. And Abraham 
found out. God said, take Isaac, travel three days to this special place. I want you to go up on top of a mountain. I want you to kill your son and burn his body to ashes. That's what a burnt offering is. It's not a very pleasant thing. And God used that burnt offering to teach us several things that we don't have time tonight. But one of those is the most horribleness of our sins. The fact that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so that sacrifice had to die. And uh, it was not... Uh, taking an animal and burning it on, a, on an altar is not overcooking your steak in the kitchen. Uh, I mean, you take that lamb and offer it. It was the skin and the, and the whole body of the lamb, and it was cut up in its parts, and, and uh, everything had to be burned completely to ashes. That is a big fire, even for just a little lamb. And here God tells him to take his son. The promise. Now, let me read you Abraham's thoughts before we move any further. Hebrews 11:17 says by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure The writer of the book of Hebrews I love to call it God's switchboard it's where all the connections are made uh, in your Bible, without the book of Hebrews, what would we understand about our Bible definitively and completely? The book of Hebrews puts it all together. And the writer of Hebrews simply tells us that Abraham's thought process was this. It was the thought process of faith. God gave me Isaac as a promise. He said that in Isaac shall my seed be called... God does not change his mind, does not change his words. So now he wants Isaac offered as a burnt sacrifice. Then God is going to raise Isaac up alive out of the ashes because Isaac is going to produce a family and carry on my name. Say, that's childish. Well, we can make all kinds of connections there, can we not? Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of God. And so God comes to Abraham. He asks for Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham remembers that God is not evil, that God is only good, and that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And by faith, he says, I will fulfill God's request. And you read the next few verses as, as Abraham makes careful preparation. He takes the servants with him. When we get to verse 5 with the word worship is used, he leaves the servants a good ways off at the base of the mountain where they cannot interfere because he knows what would happen if all of a sudden he started tying Isaac up on the altar. Those servants would would uh, restrain Abraham, would stop him. He was 113 years old at this point uh, or so in that neighborhood. And and the point I always like to bring up is how would a 113-year-old man take a 13-year-old boy and tie him up and put him on an altar? Philip's 14. But he's almost my height, and uh, 
and I am uh, just a little over half of a hundred years old, but I'm not a half of a hundred and thirteen yet. And uh, I wouldn't want to accomplish that pro- uh, that process without his cooperation, even at this age. Because Isaac was also called a man of faith, was he not? And I, I just believe in my heart that God explained to Isaac, though the Bible doesn't tell us he, he spent a lot of time, I don't see Abraham hiding a lasso behind him and jerking the rope tight so that Isaac couldn't move and winding him up and throwing him on the altar. I, I don't see that in the Scriptures. I see Abraham telling Isaac what God said and who God is. And Isaac saying, if this is the way it's supposed to be, if this is what God has asked for, then it is our duty to give it to God. Are we together on that? And Abraham had not yet started this process. He did not dare tell Isaac because you tell a 13, 14-year-old boy anything that is going to happen and what do they do? They tell everybody. And so he kept it quiet. He kept it close, only between he and God. He took the servants. He left them. He goes up to the top of the mountain. On the way up, Isaac asked the question, and Abraham says, The Lord shall provide himself a sacrifice. And as he takes the knife to kill his son, God calls to him out of the mountain. Out of, the, uh, out of the sky as he is at the top of the mountain and says, don't touch the son. Don't touch your son. And as he unties Isaac and Isaac puts his clothes back on and, and they begin to prepare to go down uh, to make sacrifice, Abraham looks and he sees a ram caught in the thicket there. And they go over and they kill the ram. And they cut the ram up, and together they put the ram on the altar. And as they're burning that ram on the altar, a sacrifice to God, all of a sudden, Abraham begins to understand what he had just said. When he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and return again to you. See, Abraham believed that he and Isaac were going and he and Isaac were coming back. Abraham had no problem with that. Um, I'm sure that it was not something he was looking forward to. I'm sure it's something that tortured his mind as he thought about this process. But the only way he could reconcile God being good was that God would fulfill his promise and he and Isaac would go. They would be obedient to God. Now, I want you to grab a few things here. Abraham was putting everything he had ever hoped for, everything that the future was, everything that Abraham ever was, he put on the line because God said so. You wonder why we don't find real fulfillment in our worship today. It's often because it doesn't cost us anything. It's often because we're not, we're not venturing as Abraham did here. 
Now, you have to be careful with this stuff. You listen to the TBN crowd, and they'd have you signing over your bank check and, and, and uh, your grandkids' inheritance and everything, saying, venture out for God and give us all your money. That's not what God's talking about. See, who initiated this process? Did Abraham go to God in prayer and say, you know, God, my worship relationship with you isn't really as exciting as it used to be, and I, I, I want you to help me enhance my worship experience. Did Abraham do that? I'll tell you what, you can go to any Christian bookstore and buy 50 books on that very subject. I want to challenge you, never going to find worship that way. Because the pattern that is established here is God is the initiator of the worship experience. And that's what keeps us from becoming subject to all of these crazy whims and fancies that men come up with. God has things for us to do. Amen? But see, God had an entirely unknown purpose to Abraham in asking Abraham to do this thing, did he not? How many of us are familiar with that purpose? He wanted Abraham and Isaac, by the way, to understand a little more about what God was going to do to save mankind from their sins. How in the world could Abraham really experience what God was trying to teach him without God doing exactly what God did to Abraham? And by the way, we can read the story. And if we read the story, how many of you have been affected by reading this story? Have put yourself in Abraham's place, have thought about... Uh, now, I've heard parents say, Ah, I think I could do that to one of my kids. No, that's not what we're talking about here. You've you got to go back to square one and start over. You see, this was God asking for everything that Abraham lived for. Abraham lived a hundred years. What was the first question Abraham asked God as he came into the land of Canaan? He said, God, you tell me that my children are going to be as the stars of heaven. You've told me that I'm going to inherit this great and wonderful land. But the only person that's the executor of my will is my chief steward in my house. I don't have a, someone to carry on my name. You wonder why Abraham was so excited about Ishmael. It was his son to carry on his name. God says, you know, we don't do things that way. Read Galatians chapter 4. That was not a relationship of choice. That was a relationship based on slavery. And God says, that's not the way I choose my heirs. And God brought forth Isaac 
from Abraham's wife, Sarah, in a most miraculous way. And then God says, I want him. God initiated, but let's, let's look there at the end of that chapter quickly here. Verse 12, and he said, God speaking here, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now, did God have one of those moments? I mean, the whole time this was going on, he's going, man, I hope Abraham can handle this one. This is going to be tough. I'm really putting him to the test. We're going to see what kind of... That's not God. God already knew the outcome before it started, so why did he say this? Why is this recorded in Scripture? Certainly not for God's benefit. It's for ours, isn't it? It was for Abraham's. He said, Abraham, I want you to understand something. In order for you to be saved, I, as God, I'm giving everything. Just as you have gone through that process until the very last second when I stayed your hand. He said, I want you to understand how much salvation costs. You know, we, we have a tendency because the Bible teaches salvation is eternal. How many sins did Jesus die for on the cross? All of them, amen? Uh, we, we, we are given such great things from God, and yet worship is our response to God's initiation. When is the last time? Have you ever really put anything on the line for God. That you would step out and say, in obedience to God's Word, if God does not follow through, well, that's not an option with God. Amen? Abraham was not considering that as an option because he knew who God is. And yet, could I challenge you, there was quite a struggle that Abraham had to go through to get there. That the weight of what God asked him to do wore him down physically and emotionally in every way. I wonder if he slept at all the night as they approached to Moriah. I don't think I could have. Not knowing what was supposed to happen. I mean, that, that, that is beyond the ability of the human mind to comprehend. But we go through things in our minds that never, ever happen over and over again. And yet, I always like to remind us, 
What is Abraham's nickname in the Bible? His sobriquet, if you like big words. He is known as the friend of God, is he not? You know what friends do? They share things. You better be careful who your friends are. Because they'll influence you to do things. And maybe those things won't be good. That's one of the... They talk about peer pressure today. I'll tell you, parents, your job is to be number one peer. That doesn't mean we treat our children as equals. But you have the right of influence. And you better be there. And you better talk. And you better put your foot down. God says, listen, I want you to understand something, Abraham, and there's only one way you can understand it. I'm going to have to take you through the deepest, darkest corners, far beyond any horrible thing that you can imagine. I'm going to ask for you to offer your son as a burnt sacrifice, and I already know what's going to happen, but you don't. And Abraham called this, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, as our Bibles are put together, this act was called worship. Worship. Just the thought process. Just a little study here tonight. We'll be done. It's initiated by God. It's a process by which we learn more about God through obedience to His Word. Getting saved is not an act of worship. Getting saved is an act of faith. But from that point on, and honestly, why would we go to God and ask Him to save us if we didn't believe in who He is? Now the rest of our lives we have an opportunity to worship. God initiated our salvation. We did not. Amen? God wants us to learn more about Him as we are obedient. And as we are obedient, all of a sudden, it's going to be like God took the glasses off and we can see a whole new world of how good God is and how wonderful He is and how great He is. I can't imagine Abraham not questioning, at least in his heart and mind, God, why are you doing this to me? But when it was all said and done, what was he saying? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for showing me what you're going to do. Thank you for befriending me, trusting me as a friend to share with me what you're going to do so that mankind can be saved. Wow. And we can share in that act of worship. By reading and studying what Abraham did, 
And you don't have to go out and ask God to give you some great trial of faith to prove your worship. You know what I find to be the greatest trial of faith? Jesus put it this way, take up his cross daily. You know, that's the hard part, isn't it? Most of us have enough character and ability when some catastrophic thing happens, have a little character to trust God, to show up and say, this is too big for me. Only God can handle this. I'm turning it over to God. Amen? But how about the battles we lost today? God wanted us to worship Him with those. God wants us to put our lives on the line. He said, I, what did Paul say? I die how often? Daily. I die daily. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily. We could say, come to church three times a week. Read the book of Acts. They went to church seven days a week. Someone said, Pastor, why can't we do that? I said, well, number one, I, I don't know what that would do to our attendance. Uh, uh, number two, uh, I don't know that I could prepare seven or eight sermons every week. Uh, and number three, we, we worship the Lord on the first day of the week, and we pick Thursday night and uh, as our midweek service, and we've been faithful in those things, but we've got visitation. Uh, we offer discipleship. We, we have all these different things that go on. You can be pretty busy. Ladies that have been helping with the ladies' conference, they've been busy every day for the last several weeks, I think, on that. Uh, and that's a good thing. You see, the pattern is this. If you're going to worship God, it's got to be initiated by God. That's why we come to church. Amen? It says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. Which means we have somewhat of a choice. They assembled on the first day of the week. But because the first day of the week was a Jewish work day, the, day, the work day off was Saturday, the Sabbath of rest. It was the first services were Sunday night. We get to worship Sunday morning in remembrance of the resurrection. Amen? And most of us, or many of us, have Sundays off, or at least some of them. And we can enjoy that time together. Sometimes it's a struggle to get to church. Well, could you ask the Lord, say, could I offer the struggle that I'm having here as a sacrifice toward my worship of God because he is worthy of the effort to do things the way God said to do them? Amen? And visitation and Bible reading and prayer. Soul winning. 
You don't, even, you don't only tell people about Jesus during church times. You have to ask God to give you opportunities, and He will. It's all part of this thing called worship. Praise God, you don't have to struggle like Abraham did. But if you do something in worship to God, you, you'll feel it. It's a scary thing to obey God and disobey man. Because we can see man. I had a Bible college professor that was trying to get us to say that we would rather lie to man and escape man's judgment than to tell the truth and then face God than to tell the truth and face man's judgment knowing we had obeyed God. Does anybody see the... Did I say that the right way? I think it did. Does anybody see the perversity of that thing? And when I questioned the professor, I was told, you're not married yet. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. But I read the story of Abraham... What more could he have put on the line? Amen? How better could he have understood about God's plan for mankind? I tell you, there's no better way. How better can we understand it? Read this story and try to feel what Abraham went through. Worship. What it was all about when it was all said and done. Nobody went around saying, Oh, Abraham, you're just such a great man of faith. Because Abraham didn't dare tell anybody what had happened, did he? That was for the writer of the scriptures long after Abraham was in heaven. But here's where we are today. Can we learn from Abraham that true faith in God never doubts that God is and that He is good? And we have a whole Bible here that we can check from the beginning of history to the end. And we can verify God's character and we can filter out all the foolishness of men and even of our own hearts. But I will tell you this, if you're going to be obedient to this book, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to put something on the line. And when you do, you're going to find out what real worship is all about. That's the pattern. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would take this simple study and put it into our hearts and minds and Lord, that we would be willing to step back and let you initiate this worship process. And Lord, that our our worship would be constrained by your word and the directions that are in it.